Welcome to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me for interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. We have a unique and exciting opportunity as we focus on the upcoming 2019 Connected Health Conference here in Boston. Partners Connected Health is honored to be the organizing partner for this world-class event, and I'm proud to serve as program chair. For this season of Well Connected, we're excited to bring you a special collection of episodes highlighting this year's keynote speakers. Each episode will not only feature a stimulating conversation with a noted thought leader, but will provide a sneak preview into their up and coming keynote presentation as well. I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, Dr. Corey Kidd. Corey is the founder and CEO of Catalia Health, a chronic disease care management company that provides an effective AI-powered solution to patients, keeping them on therapy and improving outcomes. They have created a means to provide patient engagement via tailored conversations with an interactive robot, the Mabu Personal Healthcare Companion. As an experienced entrepreneur who's been working in healthcare technology for more than two decades, Corey has focused his work on applying innovative technologies to solve large-scale challenges in healthcare. For him, innovation is about bringing together domains like AI, robotics, psychology, and medical best practices, as well as delivering proven techniques to manage everyday care. He's also conducted an extensive study showing the efficacy of his weight loss coach in helping people to diet, and he has completed work in nursing homes using robotic companions for elderly individuals. Dr. Kidd received his bachelor's degree in computer science at the Georgia Institute of Technology and earned his master's and PhD at MIT's Media Lab studying human-robot interaction. While at MIT, he conducted studies that showed the psychological and clinical advantages of using a physical robot compared to screen-based interactions for patient engagement. In 2018, Corey was honored as a finalist in Estellas Oncology C3 Prize, which is a global challenge focused on inspiring non-treatment ideas to help improve cancer care for patients and their loved ones. And I'm thrilled that he will be a keynote speaker at the 2019 Connected Health Conference here in Boston, hosted by PCH Alliance and HIMSS, along with Partners Connected Health. This is October 16th through the 18th, and I hope you can join us this year. Our conference theme is Designing for Healthy Habits and Better Outcomes. Corey, thanks so much for being our guest on Well Connected today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk with you. We've talked about this before, including in my book, The New Mobile Age, how you very deliberately designed Mabu, and from how she looks to how she interacts with an individual. As you know, our theme for this year's conference is about designing for healthy habits and better outcomes. So can you talk to us a little bit about how the design elements that you included in Mabu are making this a unique and engaging tool? 
Certainly. So a lot of the work that I've done over the last 10, 15, 20 years has really been around looking at you know what makes delivering healthcare solutions in a scalable way effective and a lot of that for me comes back to psychology uh, and you know one of the things that I was looking at you know you, you mentioned my work in the, in grad school at MIT a lot of that work was understanding the psychology of interaction and you know we know in healthcare that much of healthcare does still happen face to face you know bringing patients into the clinic or to the hospital uh, and the challenges in scaling that and you know one of the the things that we've tried over the last let's say 15 or 20 years in healthcare is to use the the technology of the moment to try to scale so we went through an era of uh, you know, computer-based programs, sending our patients CD-ROMs. We went through the the web-based era. Now we're, I think, at the tail end of the, the smartphone-based era. And one of the things that we've seen across all of those is a lack of engagement in these solutions. Even when there's great design, great information, getting this to someone and, you know, getting them to download it or install it and use it is one thing, but then getting them to use it more than, oh, let's say, even three, four, five times is next to impossible. And a lot of what what I was looking at is the psychology behind how do we create engagement. And so, you know, to come back to your question about how we've designed our system, so the Meibu robot in terms of both the hardware and software, a lot of it is about the psychology. So on the, the software side, and I have a feeling we'll go into more of this, it's about creating conversations that are adapted to a patient. But on the hardware side, the design of the robot, the look of it is important. And for the design of our Meibu robot, we brought in IDEO, one of the, the top design firms in the world. Uh, they've been a great collaborator on a number of projects over the years with me. And we worked together for about a month in creating this design. And the design brief was fairly simple. We gave them three things that we needed. One is this robot needs to have eyes that can look at you. Okay, if we're sitting face to face with someone, it's really obvious if you have that person's attention because they're looking at you or they're not. <laughs> and they're either doing so in, in socially appropriate ways or not, right? They might be trying to look at you while, uh, while on a laptop or a phone. Exactly, and glancing at another off, screen. Right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really obvious or, you know, something's on their mind and they're staring off in the distance. And, you know, we don't even think about these things consciously. It's, it's a very natural thing to understand when someone's making eye contact with us. So that's one of the things that was actually important in the design of this robot. And, you know, it's very clear that it is a robot. You know, if you have not seen what we're talking about here, you can go to our website at Catalia Health, C-A-T-A-L-I-A health.com and, and, you know, get a quick glimpse of this. But, you know, it's, it's very clearly a robot. No one's going to confuse this for a person. We're not trying to fool anyone. Uh, but still, the ability to make eye contact is something that draws people in very quickly. Uh, the second thing was having a screen on it. Now, most of the interaction that people have with Meibu, our robot, is through voice. So very similar to talking to uh, you know, Siri from Apple or the Amazon Alexa, you can do voice back and forth. Many of our patients are not necessarily as tech savvy as most of us uh, listening to this podcast. And so, you know, we need to have subtle ways of getting people engaged with this. One thing that I've found over many years of building technology for an aging population is if we have a couple of ways of interacting at the same time, it actually helps to explain things very clearly. And so to be specific about what I mean here, Whenever Meibu is speaking to someone, she's also showing what she's saying on her screen. So there's a decent sized screen on the front so we can have a large font. And when I'm responding to her, I can always respond by speaking to her or by touching a button on a screen. 
And so it's kind of like having instructions there all the time, but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like something's being explained to me or, or telling me what to do. It's just a very natural way of creating this interaction. And the third and last thing in terms of the, the design brief for this product is it needs to be roughly the size of a kitchen appliance. You know, we can, using technology today, build these the size of a smartphone. It's really tiny, uh, easy to get tossed in a drawer in a closet and, uh, you know, never seen or heard from again. Uh, we could build this the size of a human. Uh, that would be a bit imposing and a little bit difficult to fit in the home for many people. Uh, and so, you know, roughly that size was appropriate. And then from there, we opened it up and went through a lot of iterations uh, where we designed things, put them in front of potential people who might use something like this to get feedback, and iterated over several weeks until we came up with the final design. But the core of it, again, is really about psychology. What are the things that we can do to make this as engaging as possible? That's uh, inspiring to hear. I, I particularly was, was uh, very intrigued by the idea of uh, having the screen be sort of a, a second place to look for information. And uh, as I've written about and worked with um, cognitively impaired individuals and whatnot, I could see that being an enormous, enormous, uh, important design feature. So well, well done there. Um, let's, let's turn a little bit more to the, to the conversational software side. Uh, as, as you alluded, we might. You originally started working on the AI technology that now powers Meibu over a decade ago, I think. And at Catalia, you've brought your vision to life. Um, of course, it isn't just a medication reminder tool, but it's a sophisticated system that includes inputs and from algorithms. And I think this is what we want to talk about, to truly engage with patients in their own home and adapt conversations to suit the patient in the moment. Maybe tell us a little bit about how, how that journey occurred and, and specifically what makes this robot uniquely suited to work with folks with chronic conditions. So I think a good place to start is understanding a little bit about what's going on in the background. So you're right, these algorithms have evolved for more than a decade now, but the foundation is very similar to where I started, which is there are really these three models that we're building in the background about each person that we're working with. So the first one is the most obvious and the most straightforward. That's our medical model. So what condition are we helping this person with? What drugs? drugs are they on? What's that kind of day-to-day -day journey that, uh, that they're going to be following? And this is the only one where we have any information to start. So we do know, you know what condition and what drugs, uh, and that's our starting point there. But then throughout each conversation, we're tracking what's happening, either by asking questions. Oh, hey, Joe, did you take your meds this morning like you usually do? Uh, by using connected devices. So for example, with our heart failure patients, uh, a connected bathroom scale and blood pressure cuff. Uh, and you know, gathering information along the way about what's happening or not happening, uh, you know, relevant to clinically what we want to do with that patient. The second model is our psychological model. So really trying to build a profile that helps us understand how we adapt conversation to that person. And a lot of that's really going to come down to what is the best way to talk to and deliver information to this person. So, you know, we're not trying to do some deep psychoanalysis of the individual, but we are trying to understand if this is a person who, uh, you know, for a really simple example, likes uh, Mabu's humor or not. <laughs> you know, do we want to use those cute jokes? Because to many people, they can be endearing. To other people, they're a complete turnoff. Mm -hmm. uh, but more 
more importantly, things like um, you know education style. So how much depth do we go into when we present something? You know, how much detail are we using the first time, or do we just give a little bit and pause and ask and see if they want to learn more? Uh, as, as well as you know language style. So there's a lot of different things that we'll learn over those first few conversations and continue to learn over time about that person. Uh, and, and the last set of things in there is really about how they perceive their uh, disease state that they're dealing with and their treatment. And the last model is what we call our biographical model. And that's really our catch-all for anything else that we learn. Uh, and the easiest way to explain that is to contrast it with something like Alexa or Siri. You know, if you're talking to one of those, it's really very transactional. You know, you can ask a question or tell it to do something. You'll get a response or it will do something. You know, in a few cases, you can do a follow-up, but rarely. You know, it's, it's usually these short transactional conversations where we're talking with Meibu. It's, you know, a conversation, we use that word deliberately, follows the arc of what we think of as a human conversation. So it starts off with a greeting and some small talk, you know, get into the heart of the conversation. That can last anywhere from a couple of minutes to I think the longest we've seen is about an hour now in a single conversation between a person and Meibu. Uh, and at the end, you know, maybe a little more small talk, some, you know, some wrap up. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Uh, but throughout this, and we're learning little tidbits about their life and what's going on so that we can refer back to those another conversations. Oh, you know, last week when we talked about, or, you know, you told me uh, a few days ago that you were feeling like this and I wanted to follow up. So it's really about providing that context. So when you take all of these models together, what's actually happening in a particular conversation is that conversation is being generated on the fly for that patient at that point in time. And so that's what helps us to really not only tailor to that individual, but really helps to start to build up that relationship. Really fascinating. Uh I want to switch now and talk a little bit about the business side. So you, you've been through this at least once that I know of with Intuitive Automata, um, and you must have learned a lot of lessons through that. So maybe this is a two-part question, but start by just giving us some, some history and lessons learned over the years you've been doing this from the business perspective, and maybe as you currently enter the market, how you're finding uh, the business model working, i.e., what, who are your customers? What, what, are, what are you seeing in terms of how you're fitting in in terms of product market fit? So it's again a two-part question. Sure. So I'll start with the first part around you know lessons learned. So first, just some context. So I started my first company, Intuitive Automata, as I was finishing up at MIT about 12 years ago now. <laughs> so you know mm -hmm. one of the big things is just in terms of time, that's a huge difference in two main ways. One is technology. You know, we're building these interactive robots, which back then were incredibly expensive devices, uh, really hard to build, you know, for uh, kind of talking about where we were in point of time, I actually legally founded that company, I think it was about two weeks before the first version of the iPhone was announced. Mm -hmm. So we were pre-smartphone era, and a lot of the technology that goes into those kinds of devices has really driven down the cost of what we're building. And so that, of course, enables a lot of changes in the business model when the thing that you're building becomes much cheaper. Uh, and of course, you know, technology all around has continued to advance, so it makes things faster, cheaper, easier to build. The other side of it, though, is, you know, so I've been in the healthcare technology space, including my time in academia, for more than 20 years now. And for the first 
10 to 15 years, you know, I saw a, a gradual uptick, and I'm sure you've witnessed a lot of this firsthand as well, but a gradual uptick in the interest and usage of healthcare technology. And then suddenly in the last, let's say, five to seven years, there's been a huge increase. Uh, and, you know, this is for numerous reasons. Technology's gotten a lot better, but I think the the U.S. healthcare system has also become much more accepting of using a breadth of technology in practice. And so those are some of the biggest lessons learned. Uh, and I think a lot of the rest of it has to go to you know, some of the challenges within the healthcare industry. So to talk about those, I'll kind of transition to your second question in terms of what we're doing at Catalia Health. And you know, I'll tell you that when I started this company, I actually spent about a year before founding the company focused on answering two questions. So the first is you know, looking at this technology that we've built around being able to engage patients, gather a lot of information, you know, talk to patients in an interactive way every day. Where is that going to be useful in healthcare? And you know, the short answer to that is almost everywhere. <laughs> we could sit here and spend the next ten or fifteen minutes brainstorming a huge list of places where we'd love to see, you know, from a clinical and patient benefit perspective, uh, this kind of technology in use. Which is, in, on the one hand, great. It means there means there's a huge opportunity for what we're doing. On the other hand, that's actually not a very good answer for a startup company. You need a lot mm. more focus. Yeah. So the second question was essentially the business one, right? Who's going to pay for this today? And so what I mean by that is really understanding where something like this that from one perspective looks very innovative, very different, very new, right? And that's a lot of what we've been talking about over the last 15 or 20 minutes is really what's different and unique about this. But you know, I think to make a change in healthcare, you've really got to change one thing at a time. And so for us, if that thing is the patient interface, then we've got to figure out where in the business of healthcare can we position this so that it's not new, <laughs> so that it in some senses looks the same as what we do today. And there are multiple answers to that question, but where we really got started at Catalia Health was actually in chronic disease care management in specialty pharmacy. So, you know, one specific part of healthcare, Patients who are taking these drugs that require typically a little more care than just dispensing them and you know following up for a refill a month later, and so that means we've ended up doing a lot of work in immunology and oncology uh, and a number of other areas as well. But in today's market, or at least the market as of a couple of years ago, there were a lot of call center-based programs where if a patient is getting a, getting a certain prescription, they might uh, be enrolled in a program where they're going to get a call from a nurse at the pharmacy about once a month or so. And so from a business perspective, from a contractual perspective, we look to our customers, the pharma companies that are paying for those call center-based programs, just like one of those programs, except what we deliver to the patient is obviously very different and very unique and uh, what we've been talking about for, uh, for most of this podcast so far. Um, is it, so I'm trying to unpack that. Um, I, the things that were surprising to me, so maybe we can digress for a minute or two on one or two aspects. So one was that the pharmaceutical company might be a client. I was thinking more about the health plan. So maybe let me tackle that one first. 
Sure. So, you know, part of that work I was doing about five years ago now is basically understanding what entities within healthcare are paying for chronic care management. And, yeah. you know, if you look at healthcare as an outsider, there's kind of this assumption that, you know, the payer, the insurance company is paying for everything. The reality, of course, within healthcare is <laughs> much more nuanced than that. Uh, you know, as, as you know, and as most people listening to this know, there's, you know, a lot of dollars flowing in a lot of different places in terms of who's providing what kind of care. One of the areas that I found is that the major pharmaceutical manufacturers are actually paying for a lot of this chronic care management. You know, this is a, a multi-billion dollar a year market right now just in these call center-based programs, you know. And then we start talking about, say, the home health model where we're sending people out to patients. That's even a much larger market. But there are a lot of places where we can start to provide care in a way that is simply much more scalable and effective than what we have been doing. Uh, but, you know, be able to do it at the same price point. Really interesting. Thank you for that explanation. You're welcome. So, of course, we're, we're here today uh, not just to celebrate your, your progress and talk about uh, uh, the, the use of social robots, which is a really fascinating topic personally for me, but also to talk about the conference. Uh, we're so pleased to have you keynoting this year at the Connected Health Conference. And one of the purposes of this interview is to give our uh, attendees a little glimmer, uh, perhaps a synopsis or a few tidbits about what they can expect to see when, uh, when they show up and listen to you uh, Friday morning on the 18th. So tell us a little bit about your plans for your keynote. Well, first, thank you for having me back. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to speak to this audience. And the plan for the keynote this year is really two things. So one is to go a little more in depth about the psychology behind the engagement and why that's important and transition then into the outcomes related to that. So we shipped our first product to patients as a company about a year and a half ago. We started working with our first commercial pharmaceutical patients uh, in April of this year. So it's still relatively new, but we've got some very strong data back showing outcomes and usage. And so we're going to be talking about some of that, showing actually the real world impact, what, uh, you know, what a difference these programs are making in the lives of several different patient populations and how this really scales from here and others can start to use this kind of technology, these kinds of systems to improve care with patients. Very exciting. Well, I, I, um, my, my, uh, I spend a lot of my time these days talking about the need to move, and you said it earlier, to scale our interactions. I call that one, one to, moving beyond one-to-one to, one to a one-to-many model, and uh, your, your tools fit right into that. So uh, we're, we're all rooting for a big success, I can tell you that, uh, because we need it as a society. We're running out of young people, literally, to take care of old people. Um, so I'm going to wrap up with a couple of uh, final questions. One, I, I've asked all uh, uh, folks that are keynoting this year, and, and I'm, I usually do this whenever I interview someone, is to talk a little bit about what's next. And um, you're, you have a unique vantage point, both in terms of your training and your entrepreneurial experience and what you're doing uh, right now as you, as you bring your product into the market. So. Where do you see us going? Tell us a little bit about healthcare delivery is going to change, uh, about how te technology is going to affect that in the next few years. 
So if I look forward to the future, I'll start with uh, the narrow answer about what it means for us at Catalia Health and then how I see that applying to the broader changes in healthcare. And for us over the next few years, it's really about getting to serve more patients more effectively. And a lot of what that means is about integrating with other people and technologies. You know, we're not trying to build a standalone system here. What makes this effective is getting the right data at the right time to the right person. Often that means a clinical caregiver. We're working with doctors and nurses and pharmacists right now. It might mean a family member who needs some information about a patient. Uh, and it also means being able to interact more with other stuff, right? Whether that means other devices that might give us information, other software systems that might perform other functions. And this to me is the exciting thing about this point in time in healthcare technology is we're seeing the ability to start to do more and more of that in a much more effective way, both from the, the side of being able to build this technology in a fairly rapid and cost-effective way, as well as being able to really use it in the healthcare system. And I think that's been a, a recent change that we've seen that growth, and I'm very excited to see it accelerate because I think it's really going to make a big difference. Excellent. Well, thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward so much to seeing you in October. Uh, is there anything that I uh, should have asked you that I didn't, or is there anything else you want to say to our listeners? No, I think this was great. Uh, a very good conversation. I'm very much uh, looking forward to the conference in October. Great. Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavita. A special thanks for me personally to Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager, for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more, visit our website at partners.org forward slash connected health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.